Good morning, Discovery. I hope you were able to have a safe Thanksgiving, and if nothing else this year, I hope that it was a, you were able to have time for rest and reflection. My name is Jeff Hadicek. I have been a member of the teaching team for the past few months, and I'm a graduate student here at UC Davis. So we've had a wonderful few weeks of having both online service and in-person gatherings. But for now and to the remainder of the rest of this year, we will be fully online. So I do wanna thank you for sticking with us through this period of uncertainty, and especially as we transition into this Advent season. Steve gets a well-deserved week off this week, and I have the privilege of kicking off our series in Advent. So to be frank, this Advent season may be a bit weird. Many of the celebrations and the traditions that we are so used to may just look differently. Some people, myself included, always look forward to being able to see family and friends around this time of year. But this year, that, be, that comes with risk and hesitation. So simply, this year is just going to be different, and that may be disappointing for many of us. Personally, I'm from Kansas, and I'm grappling with the fact that I may not be with my family for the first time in my life during Christmas. But perhaps the Lord is preparing to speak to us in a new and powerful way with that. Perhaps when the symbols that we normally associate with Christmas are stripped away, the eggnog, the hectic shopping around Black Friday, the Mariah Carey tunes subtly playing in the background. Perhaps when all of those things are stripped away, we will be able to experience the Lord differently this year. And perhaps we'll be able to hear him speak louder and clearer than we have before. So over the next few weeks, we're going to take a closer look at a few different characters, their encounters with Jesus, and reflect on the good news in these encounters. And this morning, we start off with John the Baptist and the message of hope. So if you have a Bible, I'd invite you to join me in Luke chapter 3. I'll read just a short few verses to start. I'll pray, and then we'll dive into the first 20 verses together. So Luke 3 verse 2 says, During the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for this morning and the chance to dive into your word. Um, I pray, Father, that you help us just have a posture of gratefulness. Father, we know that there are many things that are just uncertain this time of year, Father. And that as we dive into Christmas, things just may look differently. But Father, speak to us. I pray that you speak to us this morning as we open your word and examine the character of John. And I pray, Father, that we can just experience your goodness new this year. As we pray, open our, uh, our ears, Father, open our hearts, and let us carry on to the message of Christmas this year. In your son's name we pray. Amen. If you're familiar with the Lord of the Rings series, you are no stranger to some truly epic climactic events. And usually these epic battle scenes are preceded by a character riding on a horse, usually giving some kind of inspirational speech. These scenes signify that something big is about to happen. And as you're watching, you're perking up a little bit, you're sitting on the edge of your seats, and maybe you yourself are ready to run into battle. And one of my favorites of these scenes occurs in The Two Towers. 
Merry and Pippin, two hobbits, end up in the forest and we are introduced to a new character, Treebeard. A Treebeard is an Ent, which is a walking and talking tree giant. We are initially led to believe that Merry and Pippin will head north to safety uh, on the shoulders of Treebeard. But suddenly, Merry pleads Treebeard to take them south past Isengard into the heart of danger. And I love this line from Treebeard. Listen to this. That doesn't make sense to me. But then you are very small. Perhaps you're right. South it is then. Hold on, little Shirelings. I always like going south. Somehow it feels like going downhill. <laughs> so this scene is known as the last march of the Ents, and this is a shifting of momentum in the movie. And as I, think, as I think about the passage that we dive into this morning, there are a number of similarities, if you'll hear me out. We have an unassuming and even kind of surprising character provide a semblance of hope from the wilderness. So let's dive into the first few verses in Luke chapter 3. And I think it's often easy to skip over the contextual and historical details of the beginning of passages like this one. But for a moment, let's consider the magnitude of these words that Luke writes. The period of time between the final writings of the Old Testament and the first accounts of the gospel are sometimes termed as the 400 years of silence. Now, that's not to say that nothing was happening during that time or that God wasn't speaking, but listen to the words of Malachi 3.1. They say, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. Now, the original readers of the prophet Malachi would have read these words and been overjoyed, thinking, all right, this is happening pretty soon. Send us that messenger. Lord, come soon. And then 400 years happen. Imagine the expectation and hope the people of Israel had for this messenger. It would have likely eclipsed any hope that we currently have for a vaccine or just the end of COVID. So when we read the words in the first two verses of Luke chapter 3 this morning, Luke is giving us not just a historical context, not just who the priests were in that time, but it's context of waiting and anticipation. Those feelings should be pretty familiar to us in the year 2020. If you were with us through our journey through 1 Samuel earlier this year, we saw over and over again these accounts of David in the wilderness. David and his men on the run from Saul, narrowly escaping death on a few occasions. And through it all, God was still speaking, guiding David's steps. And I don't think it's a coincidence that Luke mentions this similarity about John the Baptist in verse 2. And sometimes this speaking in the wilderness can seem unexpected. In the book of Matthew's account of this story, Matthew describes John like this. Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. So just your typical average Joe. <laughs> Actually, both John's clothing and his diet were common of nomadic desert people of that time. So how unusual is it that the greatest news that these people have heard in 400 years would come from this outsider. I would argue that this somewhat foreshadows Jesus' ministry. 
Time and time again, Jesus uses unexpected people and unexpected circumstances to advance his gospel. So briefly, let's look at two examples of that. First John uh, 4, chapter tells the story of Jesus and the Samaritan woman at the well. So let me read just verses 28 and 29 at the end of their interaction. So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, Come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? This would have been a shocking message to hear from anyone, but to hear it from a Samaritan woman would have been truly unprecedented. The second scene that I want to look at is from John 12, and that's, this scene is known as the triumphal entry. I'll read verses 12 through 15. So the next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. The king of kings, the Messiah, he does not come with sword and spear, but comes riding on a donkey. That is a surprising event, to say the least. And the prophecy coming through John the Baptist is just one of the first of these surprising works done in the gospel accounts. So let's put all of this together for a second. The prophecy comes through Malachi about this messenger, about this forerunner of the Lord. The people wait expectantly for 400 years. And finally, after all of this time, this messenger comes through this outsider, this desert nomad. So what's the purpose of this and what's the takeaway for us this morning? I think that we can be reminded 2,000 years later that even in the wildest of circumstances, maybe even the circumstances that we are living right now, when our lives may literally be threatened, we can have hope because God still speaks. He's still progressing things towards his kingdom. It might just be different than we anticipate or what we expect. Next, we should look at the statements that John actually makes here because as we discussed, this is John speaking, this is God speaking through John's words here. And I think it's a fair question to ask, how is there good news in a phrase that begins, you brood of vipers? <laughs> well, John goes on and offers commands like this. He says, share your tunics with those who have none. And to the tax collectors, he says, collect no more than you're authorized to do. And to the soldiers, he says, do not extort money from anyone by threats or by false accusations. So what is John describing here and why are these the commands that he offers? Well, much of what we discuss this morning will be reasons to have good news, have a good hope. But I also think it's important to step aside for a moment and to name a few things that are hopeless. John, for a moment, speaks directly to the entities and institutions that have caused hurt to people, that have not offered hope. These folks, historically, who use their position within the government to manipulate and advance their own gain. And I think if we're honest with ourselves, we may be able to identify in which 
identify ways in which we have felt manipulated by certain people or by the government or honestly, guys, even by the church. So back to the folks in our story. But we can probably assume that there was no opposing force that would have stepped in to prevent these things from happening. With the Roman government the size that it was, no one was quite radical or crazy enough to quite literally risk their lives to step in and call out these evils. That is, no one until this wilderness guy, John the Baptist. And John is rebuking the people that have caused so much hurt as he offers a glimpse of what it would be like to live in a community of generosity and freedom from extortion. He's saying there exists a way in which you can trust your neighbor and care for the poor. And this moment is just a small foretaste again of the works that Jesus will accomplish. 1 John 3.8 says, The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of Satan. So the hope of the kingdom of God, which John is preparing them for, is that there is a place for everyone, no matter your profession or your social standing, and one where you can trust your neighbor and care for the poor. He's offering a vision of a better way, a way of hope and eternal life. Perhaps in a year riddled with political division and racial injustice and not trusting the germs of our neighbor, we do well to remind ourselves of that truth this morning. Finally, in in preparation for this sermon, it dawned on me how often I use the word hope. I often bookend emails with hope you are well or hope you have a good day. My dad is a farmer in Kansas and much of our livelihoods relies on rain. So anytime there was a cloud in the sky, he would express, man, I hope it rains today. He wouldn't like California 10 months out of the year. (laughs) Then there are stronger expressions of hope. I've kind of already revealed that I'm a little bit of a nerd. So for my other Star Wars people out there, you'll realize Princess Leia's words, uh, famous words, help us Obi-Wan Kenobi, you're our only hope. Or many of us sat in anxious anticipation a few weeks ago as we waited for the announcement of our nation's political leaders. And probably most relevant to this moment, we have hoped for a vaccine for this virus since mid-March. But how often do these hopes consume us? How often do these hopes fall short of their expectations? How often are they fleeting? None of these uses of the word hope that I just mentioned, even if they are likely to happen or they do end up happening, they aren't certain. I mentioned at the beginning that I'm a graduate student here at UC Davis and many other people uh, in our community may recognize the power of evidence. It's often difficult or impossible to make a claim in academic work or even in the news um, without data or quantitative evidence to back that up and prove it. So my mind kind of works like this same way whenever I view scripture. How do I know what I'm reading is actually true or how do I know what Christ says about the future will actually be true as well? Biblical scholars debate about the actual number of prophecies that are fulfilled in the Bible, but it's likely in the thousands and even hundreds in the life of Jesus alone. So what we have here are hundreds of data points 
data points of evidence that God is faithful to his promises and Jesus is who he says he is. For me, this is incredibly good news and gives me a sure and confident hope. And this is the same guaranteed hope that John is offering here when he says, he who is mightier than I is coming. Jesus promises in John chapter 10, my sheep hear my voice and I know them. They follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. We can be sure that just as the Lord fulfilled his promises through scripture in the past, about sending a messenger, John the Baptist, that he will surely bring his full work to completion and remain faithful to the covenants, even the ones that are yet to be fulfilled as we wait and hope with anticipation. As we begin this unique season of Advent and as we consider and reflect on the events of this last year, let us just remember that we have a hope that is firm and eternal. And also remember the good news that came to John, came, came through John, came in a surprising way through this strange wilderness guy, John the Baptist, who eats locust and wild honey. As we head into a continued season of confusion and uncertainty, have trust that God spoke before and he surely will speak again and find new and unique ways to advance his mission. As we wait with expectation this Advent season, let us remember that our hope and what our hope should truly be in, not for gifts under the tree or the traditions of Christmas. 1 Peter 1.13 says it like this, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. We've sat with disappointment and sickness and separation from our plans throughout this year, and that will only continue this Christmas season. So this morning, I just simply ask, what is your hope in? Perhaps in a year that can be described for many of us as a wilderness experience, we can maybe experience that renewed hope of Jesus Christ in a surprising way this year. And it's not just us that's experience this, experiencing this too. So begin to think creatively. How can you offer that same hope to others who may be outside of the church or who maybe have never heard this message of hope before? We come to this point in our gathering to partake in the practice of communion. So as you sit at home this morning, I'd encourage you to gather those elements now. And as we do that this morning, let us remind ourselves of the hope that we have in Jesus. For this cup and this bread are reminders of the pouring out of Jesus on our behalf and also reminders of the covenant that he is coming again. The Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread and when he had given thanks he broke it and said this is my body which is for you do this in remembrance of me in the same way also he took the cup after supper saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me for as often as you drink this cup and eat this bread you proclaim the lord's death until he comes so when you're ready take and eat